Chapter 13 of Wandle the Invader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Harrington. Wandle the Invader by Ray Cummings. Chapter 13. The forest swarmed with living things. Here in the dark they had been crawling upon us. Every branch of this leafy treetop angle had something staring at us. The darkness was suddenly glowing with a myriad little green torches which were their eyes. They all winked on in an instant, as though at a signal, or at the sound of Snap's shout and the hiss of his bolt. Insects? I suppose I should call them that. With a glance I saw that they were of many sizes and shapes, tiny little things with eyes like lanterns, things of many legs, finger length, hand length, and some as long as my forearm. Brown-shelled things, with eyes glowing on stems. There was one quite near us, a smooth brown-shelled body, round head on top as big as my fist. And these things had heads like little distended brains. What a horrible jest of nature this was, with miniatures of the wandle workers, crawling here, unable to stand erect, groping with little pincers, and miniature brains with naked, shriveled bodies. It seemed that the eyes of that little brain were fixed on me with a baleful green glare in the darkness. Anita and Venza were floundering to their feet in horror. They all but slipped from the limb. The weapons and devices they had arranged there slid off and went down into the darkness unheeded. From above us came Snap's horrified shouts and the hiss of his bolts. Here! I gasped. My hand! Anita! Venza! Jump! I shoved Anita upward. The little eyes suddenly were all in movement, advancing upon us. Anita floundered, fluttered, got into the air, and mounted toward Snap. Again Venza slipped off the limb. I lunged and drew her up. Green eyes nearest us came swooping. I did not dare fire a bolt. It was too close to Venza. I flung the entire weapon at the green eyes, but I missed. The little thing bit Venza's arm. She screamed, and her flailing hand hit the tiny distended head. Its hideous little scream mingled with hers. It floated downward, massed in purple-red with gushing blood. I struggled upward with the inert form of Venza under one arm. Anita was mounting, free. Snap came lunging down. Fired every bolt in the damn weapon! He saw the unconscious Venza. Good God, Greg! Never have I heard such anguish in his tone. Greg, she isn't... One of them bit her. Help me. He floundered up with her a hundred feet above the treetops of that horrible forest. The little lanterns of eyes down there had all winked out. The open starlight was over us. Anita came swimming. Then Venza stirred. She murmured, All right. She had fainted. It seemed nothing more, but I found her upper arm swelling. She tried to bend her body and sit up, but it threw us all out of balance. Last straight, Snap murmured. Venza, are you all right? Yes. Why not? And then she laughed. It sent a shuddering chill over me. What's the fuss about? Let's get away from here. Somebody will be coming. She was swimming now, and we let her loose, but stayed close by her. The reddish firmament was like an inverted bowl. The curving wandle surface gave us a narrow little vista, the forest rolling up from the horizon in front. Then we saw where the forest seemed to end. Water was beyond it a ribbon like a broad river, and beyond that, frowning mountains, terraced and spired with jagged peaks. Snap and I suddenly recalled the gravity ray projectors. We tried them, 
found that they would fling little beams of two varieties. Pencil points of radiance, they seemed to have an effective range of no more than a few hundred feet. I let myself drift downward, experimenting. The tiny beam struck the forest top. I felt the projector pulling violently downward in my hand. I clung to it. I was being drawn swiftly down by the attractive gravity force of the ray. The forest rose rapidly under me. I was all but flung upon it before I could find the other controls. Then the ray altered its nature. The projector in my hand pulled me steadily up, but after a few hundred feet I felt I was mounting only of my own momentum, with gravity and air friction retarding me. Snap had tried similar experiments. We rejoined the swimming girls. I stared into Venza's face. It was pale, but she did not seem distressed. She winked at me. How's your arm, Venza? It hurts, but I guess it's all right. I turned to Snap. I guess we can work these things. Get Venza to cling to you. Our progress was now far less difficult. Venza clung to Snap's ankles and Anita to mine. With the repulsing rays directed downward, we had a strong upward and forward thrust. We went forward with great thousand-foot bounds. The forest rolled back under us. We came over the gleaming river. It seemed several miles broad. It appeared to have a swift current. I saw sunlight upon the mountain ahead. The darkness had been paling. Now day suddenly burst upon us. The sun, smaller than on earth, mounted swiftly up. It was a flattened, distorted, dull red disk, blurred by Wandel's strange atmosphere. We were in a dim red daylight. Anita twitched at my ankles. Look back of us! We were going up. Venza and Snap behind us. We were in a descending arc. Above them, far back in the direction from which they had come, two blobs were visible up against the reddish day sky. Pursuit? It seemed so. The blobs went down, but came up again, traveling with rays like ourselves. I called to Snap. Someone after us! Two figures back there! He was shouting, Greg! Greg, help! My gaze had been on the distant figures. I saw now that at the bottom of his arc, and starting upward again, Snap had lost Venza. The impulse of his ray had twitched his ankle from her grasp. Or had she let loose? He was about a hundred feet above the river, and Venza, with acceleration downward unchecked, was falling into it. Greg, help! Venza, swim up! His frenzied call reached me as I used the attractive ray, and Anita and I whirled over and lunged downward. Greg, help! Venza, use your arms! Swim! She was lying inert, making no effort to keep from falling. Her body turned slowly, end over end. She struck the swiftly flowing river surface but did not sink. Instead, she half emerged, came up and lay in a crumpled heap, and with its rapid current, the river carried her away. It was several minutes before we could reach Venza. Snap was already there, floundering on the water, awkwardly maintaining his balance, bending over Venza. Greg, she's unconscious. Fainted again. The bite of that insect. The thought of it turned me cold. The river surface was like a very soft rubber mattress. The water clung to us, wet us. We could not kneel or stand erect, but in sitting down only a few inches of our bodies were submerged. We floated like corks, we were so light, and so little water did we displace. We struggled with Venza across the gluey river surface. She had fallen near the further shore. Rocks, crags, and strewn boulders were passing as the current swept us along at a speed of about ten miles an hour. She lay in our arms, eyes closed, her face pallid but calm. She seemed to breathe rapidly. 
but that on Wandle was normal. We landed on the rocky shore. It was still daylight. The blurred sun was winging across the zenith so swiftly that its movement was visible. Wandle had been suddenly endowed with axial rotation. Even in these few minutes, the day was past its noon. On the distant mountain peaks, looming above the nearby horizon, it seemed that the sheen of coming night was mingled with the red sunlight. Anita and Snap laid Venza on the rocks. I suddenly remembered the two blobs in the sky behind us, which it seemed to be following. I stood gazing across the river. The red sky there seemed empty. Thank God, she's reviving! Snap called at me, and I joined them. Venza was stirring. Color was coming into her cheeks. Her lips were murmuring as though she were talking in her sleep. Then she opened her eyes, her gaze fixed on us as we bent over her. Why, what's the matter? Where are we? I thought we were in the treetops. Snap, don't look at me like that, dear. I'm all right, only confused. She could remember nothing since that gruesome thing bit into her arm, but the attack of its poison in her veins seemed definitely over. We sat with her, soothing her, explaining what had happened. And she was wholly rational. Her strength came back. Her mind cleared. The brief red day came to its close. The sun plunged below the horizon. The stars winked into being. The red-purple wandle night again was here. And now we saw that the whole firmament was swinging, the rotation made visible. The darkness leaped around us. Shadows filled the rock hollows. The caves and recesses of this rocky shore turned black with darkness, and in the sky now we saw another of those familiar opalescent beams. This was the one from Mars. We could identify the red disk of the planet. And then, from the mountains ahead of us but still below our horizon, the Wandel control station shot its attacking beam upward. Again there was that conflict in the sky. The axis of Mars was being altered. Its rotation slowed. We could see now that we were much nearer than before to the control station. It seemed only about twenty miles ahead of us. The scream from it was deafening. The Wandle beam died presently. The electrical scream from the control station was stilled. The Earth's axis had been altered. Now Mars, and next would be Venus. A few more of these gravitational attacks, and then the helpless planets, with rotation checked, would be towed away by Wandle out into the deadly cold of interstellar space. Anita abruptly gave a startled outcry. The four of us, sitting in a group, had no time to rise. From behind a dark crag nearby, two figures appeared. The starlight showed them clearly. Molo and Wick. They lunged forward at us. End of chapter 13